This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would, that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarish. I knew that you would be, you are a merciful God and compassionate, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. You'd kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God agreed for a leafy plant to grow there and soon it spread up its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, so it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nivea has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Thanks, Sarah. We've been going through the book of Jonah and um, last week at the end of chapter 3 we saw that um, Jonah's fears were realised when God decided to show mercy and not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. So we continue now with chapter 4 and this morning Jonathan um, mentioned three radical examples of compassion and love from the gospel. And the first is in Luke 5, 27 to 32. And it's a bit like if you can imagine a billboard with, you know, those flashing lights. This is the flash. Jesus eats with sinners at Matthew's house. Okay, that's the first flash. That's the first light. In Luke 7, 36 to 50, the caption reads, a sinful woman anoints Jesus' feet. It's another flashing neon sign. A sinful woman anoints Jesus' feet. And the third radical example of compassion is in Luke 8, 1 to 3. Women accompany Jesus and the disciples. You can just see the flashing neon light because you see in Jesus' day, although those sort of uh, in-your-face radical billboard signs don't sound that radical. In Jesus' day, these very people would never have been associated with. They were actually the bottom of the bottom of the, of the ladder. Matthew was a tax collector and absolutely hated. 
the sinful woman was um, possibly a prostitute and so the lowest of low. And women, doesn't even mean, doesn't really even matter if you were, um, you know, a, a, a gracious, godly woman, you were still very much um, subservient and down on the rung of, of life. So Jesus comes into this and by his association, by his um, love and compassion for these people to the extent that he even calls one of them as his disciples, we see an incredible radical shift in the way people viewed each other. And in Luke 5.30, when um, the Pharisees, who were seen as the, the, the top of the heap, so to speak, in Jesus' day, questioned Jesus about who he associated with, particularly tax collectors, they actually said, why do you eat and drink with such scum? That's how they viewed these people. And Jesus said, I've come to call sinners to turn from their sins, not to spend my time with those who think they are already good enough. And this same woman, in Luke 8, 1 to 3, and it talks about the women that accompanied Jesus and the disciples. One of them was a woman called Mary Magdalene. And she'd been exercised of seven demons. And it never ceases to amaze me the compassion of God because after Jesus' death, Mary went to the tomb that morning and the tomb was just kind of around, you know, sort of cave in the side of a hill and it was covered by a stone. And as she approached the tomb, in order to look inside, she actually had to bend down and look in upside down. And that got me thinking about tonight's message on Jonah because the story we heard from Sarah tonight is about a man that thought life should be a certain way and yet God turns him upside down and causes him to look at it quite differently, quite radically in a compassionate, godly way. And Mary, Mary who was a sinful woman who had seven demons exercised from her, on the one hand you could say scum of the earth. What did God do? God allowed her the privilege, the incredible privilege of being the first person ever on earth to witness the risen Christ. What an amazing God. What a compassionate God we have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just come before you tonight and we would just pray that we could get a real handle on what you're trying to show us in your word here tonight. Your word which speaks to us about your compassion and how we're forced to look at life and you quite differently, almost upside down, if you like, to how we would want to look at you and how we would want to be and how we would want to look at others in the world. Lord, you come in and you smash away all of our uh, falsehoods, all of our pretenses, all of our pride, all of our um, just our our expectations, you just come in and smash them, Jesus, by your radical compassion, by your radical faith. And I just pray tonight, Lord, that we could really get a handle on what you're trying to teach us in this chapter here tonight in Jonah. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. Well, we see from what Sarah read that um, Jonah's response to um, God changing his plans was that he actually became angry. He became, in fact, the um, Bible said it was such an intense anger that um, the Greek word for that was ra, R-A, like a, like a ra, I'm really angry. And it was, it actually means that he was actually consumed by rage in his belly. That's how angry he was that God showed compassion on these um, heathen people. It's really quite amazing. That's how incredibly angry he was. And we see that Jonah's own worldview said that evildoers should be punished. He couldn't accept what he knew would happen. When God relented in response to Nineveh's repentance, Jonah's feelings broke through. He couldn't constrain himself. He knew God would relent. He knew what God was like and to him it was intolerable. To him it smashed away his fundamental beliefs. And um, there's, there's a sense that in the first part of the book of Jonah, he was consumed by the fish And in this chapter, we see he's consumed by his anger. Another reason for his anger is uh, uh, towards God's compassion on Nineveh, which was a heathen heathen or scum, if you like, I'm going to keep using that word, uh, a scum race, is because according to the rabbis, Nineveh's repentance in response to God's word brought shame upon Israel the chosen nation. Israel argued that repentance of the heathen was a judgment on an unrepentant Israel. Do you get that? So they were being shown up. Jonah realised that the heathens of Nineveh might repent and so it just highlighted for him, who he who was a proud Jewish man who came from a proud favoured race, knew in his heart of hearts that he was so unrepentant and knew also that his own race was unrepentant and here was a scum race showing them up. So he was not only angry, he was shamed as well, incredibly shamed. So my first point is that I think myself, and probably all of you are like Jonah. I really think in our own hearts, um, we often desire the opposite to what God wants. I think we are like Jonah because we're often not compassionate like God. I think we're like Jonah because our natural emotions often get the better of us. I think we're like Jonah because we have our sense of justice and believe God's should be like ours. It shouldn't be different to us. And yet it is. I think we're like Jonah because we are proud and deep down we can't understand why more undeserving people are blessed. And I think we see some people as hopeless, not worth our time. And 
sometimes even like scum. It's harsh, isn't it? But I think we are a lot like Jonah. I think we run from people who are hard work. And sometimes I think we can't forgive either. Just recently, I really wrestled with a request from someone to spend a day in court with them and there were lots of other things happening at the same time and, and I really felt God was saying, no, go with this person. Um, this person has been a friend for a few years now and I have to say this person is a sinner but she's also been sinned against. And... Um, it's been a number of, of frequent visits to the court for this person. And so when I was with her recently, the solicitor that, that knew her, um, I prayed that morning, um, God, somehow let there be a breakthrough. God, let there be compassion shown. Somehow, Lord, change the circumstances for this person. And as we walked in, um, her solicitor who had seen her many, many times before, for some strange reason said, um, come in, let's, let's have some time together. And over nearly a period of two hours, which had never happened before, this uh, solicitor took an inventory of this person's life. 14 pages later, um, and the 14 pages chronicled an incredible story of neglect and abuse and marginalisation and um, physical, emotional, sexual abuse. And at the end of our time together with the solicitor, he actually looked up and he looked at my friend and he said, I'm seeing you for the first time, aren't I? And he said, how have you survived? How have you survived? And at the end of the day, he actually showed enormous compassion towards her, which had been quite different to his responses over the past 12 months. And I thought, wow, there it is. There's the difference. There's the difference. The world would say, the world would say sinner. The world would say hopeless. The world might even say scum. But God doesn't say that. You know what God says? He says, I have compassion on this person. I see her heart. I see her life. I see her potential. I see her as she is and I love her. I have compassion on her. And this is the very thing that God wanted to teach and, and show Jonah. But we'll see, his heart was heart just like ours, often. But, you know, I don't think it has to be even as dramatic as that example. I think there is so much here for us to think about in terms of Jonah's response to God. How many times do we think we're going to be, that we are, are okay and we're the important ones and then others who we assess are not as skilled or as educated or as cool they land better jobs or seem to attract God's favour in ministry or, or get the girl or the boy. We think they don't deserve. You know, all of us yak and use our tongues to speak behind each other's backs, criticising 
or being indignant about someone else, even in the body, here. Someone has offended you or hurt you or has risen to a position of authority in ministry or with friendships that we feel they don't deserve. Someone has become more friendly with one of your best friends or become included in the group and you wonder secretly why they deserve such attention. Even as leaders, we don't get off scot-free. Criticism, indignation, sometimes even disregard because for all sorts of reasons, too young, too inexperienced, female, didn't notice me, didn't say hello, haven't visited, don't have all 16 attributes I believe you should have to be my leader. I'm sounding harsh, but it's true that we can all be like a Jonah and God wants us to look at life his way, to have compassion, to say, hey, guys, I look at life very differently to you. You're looking this way. You need to turn upside down and see it from my way. Point two, God is always compassionate. And this also gets to Jonah. Jonah says, and I can almost hear him spitting it and spewing it out. I knew you were such a gracious and compassionate God. (laughs) slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I knew how easily you could cancel your plans for destroying these people. Just kill me now. That's his response. That's how devastated he is at God's compassion. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive because nothing I predicted is going to happen. Wow. What does that say about God, first of all? Well, God is always compassionate. God is gracious. Do you know the word gracious is used only of God in the scriptures? No one else has that title, just God. He is merciful. You know, the word here translated in the Greek is rahim, and it actually means the same word for womb. It's the same word as a mother's womb. That's how merciful God is towards us. It's like a mother um, nurturing and and caring for that unborn baby for nine months, protecting it and allowing it to grow. That's God's, it's the same image of God's mercy for us. He is slow to anger. Being slow to anger is the opposite of having a quick temper. Another word for this is forbearance. God shows his forbearance to Jonah. He doesn't blame him. He stays with him through his anger and he moves him on, though painful, through painful experiences to maturity. So God just doesn't abandon him in his tantrum because he's throwing a wobbly here. He's throwing the biggest tantrum out, but God does not abandon him. He actually journeys through this pain of Jonah's with him. He has forbearance and that is a hallmark of compassion. What about you? Are you waiting to reach a certain level of behaviour, perfection even, just so you think you'll be acceptable to God? Look, it's not how it works. You need to know from tonight onwards to develop an upside down view of God, to know first and foremost He's a God of compassion and he takes you just as you are, right where you are. 
and he says, I love you. And he journeys with you. He takes you as you are and he refines you in the process. This is God's heart for Jonah. And because he is compassionate and he's merciful and he's slow to anger, you, and because you will never be good enough, then tonight, right now, right here tonight, if you're far away from him or you haven't even known him, you haven't given him a chance, then do it. There's nothing to stop you because he is compassionate and he will journey with you and he's a God of love. The Bible tells us here that he is a God of love and the word translated here means a steadfast love or a pledged love. It's the kind of love that characterises God's commitment to his people. It's the same model as marriage. It's one that says, I'm in a covenant relationship with you and no matter what you do, no matter how much you throw tantrums, no matter how much you want to run from me or flee, I will always love you. I am compassionate and I will remain faithful. You don't know me. You have the wrong view of me. You need to think differently. You need to look upside down. God is an unfailing and compassionate, forgiving God. And through his actions, our pettiness and oversensitivity and unforgiveness is highlighted. God's ways are certainly not our ways. To know God, we need to look at life differently. He shatters, smashes all our preconceived ideas, all our expectations, all our natural tendencies, all our perceived ideas of justice, because they're just our ideas of justice, all our true longings, like Jonah, you know, to be preferred. And he says, you have no right to be angry. You have no right to throw a tantrum. You have no right to perceive what is right and not because I am God and I have unfailing compassion and love and forgiveness. In verse 4, he says, is it right for you to be angry about this, Jonah? And then we find that Jonah goes out. He says he goes out to the east side of the city and he made a shelter. And I've just got to tell you something about this little tantrum that he's still continuing to throw. Because back in those days, the east side of the city was where, you may have heard this before, the Sirocco wind blew. And the Sirocco wind was the wind that came off the desert and it blew from the east and people that were, were to be punished were actually put out in the desert on the east side of a city and they were to sit there and very soon they would become so parched because this wind was deadly. So here's Jonah and you've got to understand that he's making a point to God. He's so angry about God's compassion that he says, I'm so angry, I want to die and I want to make you feel bad, God. I'm going to go to the Sirocco and die. That's how bad I feel about your compassion. And what does God do? Well, God calls, causes a leafy plant to grow and to provide shade for him. And Jonah forgets his momentary tantrum and He's grateful. It's lovely. It's shady. It's beautiful. So he's grateful and he's calming down. But then 
God calls a little worm to eat the stem of the leafy plant and it starts to wither and die and the sun starts to beat down on Jonah again and he starts to wish he could die again. This man is totally at odds with God and himself. But God wants to make an enormous point here. God says, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Jonah says, yes, even angry enough to die. But then the Lord says, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. And a plant is only at best short-lived. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? God's compassion yet again. So point three, what do we need to know? We need to understand that God wants us to learn to become more like him and not like our natural selves. He wants to challenge our thinking. He wants to challenge our unchecked emotions, especially the negative ones. He wants to challenge our values and our morals. He wants to bring about a heart change in the way we look at the world and others even if that means turning it upside down and looking at it completely different. He wants us to forgive. You know, I, I had an opportunity yesterday to spend some time with my, my parents and I love them. Um, they're not walking with the Lord, but my dad was really down yesterday and, and, a, and he'd had a visit from a, an extended family member and he'd found out that someone in my extended family, as she's an adult now, but, but she'd confessed that she'd been abused as a, a child. Sorry I'm focusing on this, but this is real. She'd been abused as a little girl by someone in the fam an extended family member through marriage. And his, he was, his heart was breaking. And, and he's not, as I said, he's not walking with the Lord. And, and he said, can anything help her? Can, can, can this girl be healed? And I thought, Lord, Lord, this is my chance. Thank you. I've waited a long time for this chance. And I said, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. We, Jesus can help. Jesus is a compassionate God who understands and, and she needs to know his love. That's the first point. But the second point is, and, and Dad, this is going to make you, you won't understand this, but, but actually she has to learn to forgive. And, and this, this isn't what secular help would tell you. Secular help would say, this woman has had, no, has had the control taken from her life, so she needs to regain control. So she needs a whole range of strategies in order to do that. She needs to assert herself. She needs to go out there and express herself. She needs to vent her anger and rage. She needs to regain and recapture part of that, 
part of her that was lost. She needs to be proactive. Jesus would say, no, no, it's, it's not control that she needs. It's freedom and forgiveness is the only way that she'll experience freedom. And she has to learn to forgive those that wounded her. But she also has to understand that in that wounding, she herself has taken on aspects of sin and and hurt and, and stuff that God's not happy with. So she has to confess that to be truly free. And then she has to forgive herself. And in that whole process, she will have freedom because forgiveness brings freedom. It's a radical, different way of looking at life. It turns life upside down. God's ways are so radical. They are not our ways. But God wants us to be like him, to learn to be more like him. He wants us to learn what it means to forgive. He wants us to have compassion. You'll notice that the book of Jonah ends with God. It ends in a funny way. You notice that we actually don't see the final response from Jonah. It's quite abrupt. It ends with God saying, I want to give compassion to this city. And we don't know whether Jonah actually completed the journey with God and he too became a transformed person. We don't know that. But we do know what God wants for us. And we, we um, sorry, I've just lost my spot. Yeah, we're left with a question mark. And that same question mark about which way will we respond when God turns our world upside down and challenges us to be compassionate when it's so hard to do that. The question is, Which way will we respond? Will we be broken and allow God to change us, to become more compassionate, to surrender more and more rather than take more and more? Or will we remain consumed by our own attitudes and prejudice and remain hard like Jonah? This chapter ends with God. It always has and it always should You never have a right to maintain your anger against another. You never have a right to maintain and God wants you to surrender that. God shows us that this passage ends in a message that leads us to the cross because that beautiful scripture that says that God so loved the world He loved Nineveh. He loved the heathens. He loved the scum. He loves everyone. That he gave his only son. That none should perish in that incredible, compassionate act. But all should receive eternal life. Let's hope Jonah changed. But what would a changed, compassionate person look like? Well, I think they'd be more concerned about others than self. 
I think they'd be more concerned about God's purposes than their own. I think they'd be more conscious of the emotions and motives of the heart and whether they are true and pure or selfish. I think a changed, compassionate person would be more concerned with a passion to see the lost saved and more concerned with helping others. I think a a compassionate person would spend time with people who are marginalised. I think they would be less concerned with reputation and more concerned with God's. People tonight, we need to be reminded just how much we have been forgiven, how precious and special this gift of grace and life and compassion is. That there is often a call associated with it that may be uncomfortable. It may mean we have to search deep within us and be and do things that go against our natural tendencies. It may mean that we we have to give up things to serve. It may mean that we have to go the extra mile when no one else is doing that. It may mean that we have to keep surrendering pain or hurt or woundings that we feel we should rightfully have, that we're holding on to, and we have to surrender that. It may mean spending time with someone who is time-consuming and needy, not just once but continuously, journeying with them until they have broken through to understanding. It may mean that we too have to forgive. The Christian life is a life that requires us to know God is a compassionate God. The Christian life is a life that requires us to know that he loves us with a consuming passion. The Christian life is a life that requires us to love compassionately others with the same compassion we have been loved with first. And sometimes the Christian life requires us to be challenged and look at life with an upside-down view. I want to pray for you. Lord God, I just thank you for who you are. Lord, sometimes we get overwhelmed by your compassion when we know we don't deserve it, like the people at Nineveh like even Jonah, and yet you demonstrate that no matter what, you are always faithful and always compassionate. You journey with us. You put up with our tantrums. You put up with our waywardness. You even forgive those that have wounded us and you forgive us as well. Lord, such knowledge is too wonderful for us. Oh, Lord, I pray that you help me, you help everybody here tonight to be just that little bit more broken, to be just that little bit more compassionate like you, Jesus. I pray with my whole heart that you will help us to see life the way 
you want us to see life, to, to break through our defences and our, our judgments, oh, our unrepentant heart, and, and help us, Jesus, to surrender and to forgive, to see life as you would want us to see it so we can truly be free and truly be compassionate to others. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you are a God like this and you lead us. Oh Lord, search our hearts. Oh, know our anxious mind and hearts and see if there is any offensive way within us and lead us into the life into the path of everlasting life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.